Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Brothers Creed Podcast, where we talk about motivation, share experiences, and explore what the world has to offer. I'm Jared. I'm Ethan. And today we're going to have an amazing guest on, Dave Bunch. Dave is a loss prevention professional. So in other words, he's, he does corporate security. He has a long career, over 25 years of career, in making sure that um, there's company, people aren't taking advantage of companies as far as fraud or stealing things or uh, employees or, or uh, customers. And so we're going to talk with him. He's a veteran, a father. He's done hundreds of different interviews and people, and he's going to talk about you know, how to interview someone, how to get to the bottom of a situation. Really excited to have him on today. Uh, so let's get it going. All right, let's do it. You can't climb the ladder of success with your hands in the pocket. We will not go quietly into the night. They tell me you're a man with true grit. I am the one who knocks. Don't ever tell me what I can't do, ever! That's how winning is done. All right, Dave. Thank you for uh, coming and interviewing with us today. We really appreciate it. Appreciate your time. Appreciate your time a lot. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. welcome. Um, you know, uh, l- let's maybe just get into a little bit of your background for the listeners, so that they can kind of get an idea of of uh, kind of your 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 path up to becoming this loss prevention uh, professional, if you would. That's a that's an open ended question. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> what what leads you in your life? Um, you know, I'll just talk about getting into loss prevention. When you're in loss prevention, I've heard many loss prevention professionals say they've tried other professions and somehow they always get dragged back. It is a extremely uh, exciting profession. Profession you can you can see results pretty immediately. Uh, so I think for a lot of people, that's what draws them back and keeps them motivated to keep in the profession. And there's. All companies need loss prevention as well, so there's always that option of of, uh, of job security. So, what does that mean, loss prevention? Like, what type of financial loss sounds like, or, or liability? But can you give a definition of what that means? Oh, sure. It's to protect the assets of the company, whatever that asset is, and usually those assets, you know, the any physical part of the company, and that includes employees and customers as well. So, you know, building the cash, the product, uh, the information. Um, any of that, your job surrounds all of those aspects of the company to protect it in one fashion or another. I know that that was a really simple explanation. That's what it is. <laughs> you know, the other part of that is that loss prevention has evolved over the years to risk management because of the the litigation that can occur in companies and the amount of losses that can they can occur. Loss prevention has been relied on to. Uh, kind of monitor that, get involved with that, and help the company in general mitigate that loss potential. And that's really been an evolution in a lot of loss prevention professions. Yeah, that was one question I was going to ask was, um, you know, over a, a career of 20 plus years, you've probably seen the development of um, basically that 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 loss. You know, maybe now it's more potentially technology driven or would you say that it's still people taking physical things or, or what, what would you say the split would be over, um, you know, is it easier nowadays for people to commit those types of, 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 uh, fraud or or thefts or crimes or different things like that? Or is it, has it become easier to track them? You know, back when you started, everything was so manual. Everything was on paper and you were going through and your analytics were manual labor. (laughs) <laughs> that's mm-hmm, you'd go yeah. through all the refund slips and okay i'd try to match these up or you'd go through these printed reports dot matrix printed reports and now it's so analytical the statistics are there the software is so advanced that you can plug anything into it and come up with suspects if you want to just say that where the loss is occurring how to minimize that loss so it has gone so far to at the beginning, it was all about this manual type of process, and now it's the professionals that need to be able analytical, and that's the the huge switch that it's been, I think. So, Dave, you've you know, from what I understand, you've you've had a career. Maybe the start of your career was more and like catching people that were customers that were stealing stuff uh, in a store, um, and uh, so you've had experience with that, and then. 
over the years, you, you shifted more to like a director level, uh, managing many different stores. You've worked for several different companies to manage more of the employees uh, and the risk within you know different locations, whether that be a gym or a, or a store or a different location. So maybe talk to us a little bit about when you first started and you were dealing more with those customers, like people trying to put golf clubs in their pants or something like that and walk out, you know, like, or stealing whatever. What would your, how did you deal with those folks? I mean, that was back in probably the what, early 90s or late 90s. So <laughs> it's a different world. <laughs> you know, we're going to age uh, you. <laughs> it's, and I'm glad you asked that because originally you're catching shoplifters. That's how, and I, I was had that job with a, a larger company called, uh, it was Shopco. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a bigger box, almost it mimicked Target in many ways. Uh, but you were catching shoplifters. That was your main responsibility. You had internal investigations that you did, but the game was catching the shoplifters. And I had that job to work my way through college. That's what I did. And oh yeah, there was a lot of um, rough and tumble times because it was hands-on. Everything was hands-on back then. It was a competition. You're not letting anybody get away. And that so, was after you were in the military, right? Uh, that was before... And after, oh, okay. uh, so it was kind of, you know, it was, yeah, it, it gets pretty, pretty intense. Cause you do have people that decide they don't want to be caught and, um, you had carte blanche to ensure they didn't get away. So, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. You know, you hear a lot from uh, maybe some large retailers today where it's like, maybe you see some videos on YouTube or something like that, where they're, um, you know, they, they may be told if someone's stealing something, you can't touch them or you can't, uh, you can't block them or get in their way or whatever else. But I guess it kind of sounds like back in the day, it wasn't so much like that. It was, it was protecting the, the company and their assets. <laughs> I think it's a good thing. <laughs> it was the wild, wild west. I, I mean, I've got into quite a few tussles. Um, I, and I wasn't so much about, you don't hit people, you subdue people. And mm -hmm. you had handcuffs, you didn't have mace. So that you'd subdue people, get, get them cuffed up and bring them back into the store and, and then call the police. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of incidents where I was caught alone, um, with people and, in uh, once I was caught behind, uh, behind the building and I stopped an individual and said, Hey, you know, I'm Dave, you need to come back in. And he said, no. And the fight was on and it lasted a while. I mean, it was, well, and my, I'm all bloody and you're like, <laughs> man, you should see the other guy. <laughs> the idea was uh, not to hit, but to subdue. Yeah. So that was, you know, the very early stages of, you know, um, the the uh, octagon. Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting. You know, I worked uh, one of my first jobs uh, at a college. I got a bachelor's degree in supply chain management. One of my first jobs was I worked for a corporate retailer, uh, and I basically was doing inventory management for them. And um, one of the things that was one of the the skews or one of the items that I helped manage inventory for was uh, was Red Bull. Right, and we had probably like a sixty percent loss on Red Bulls, and we just we couldn't figure out what was happening. To employees them. get thirsty, and that was exactly what it was. And you have one or two employees working in the store, and and you go into any one of these stores, and you would just find empty Red Bulls all over the place. And it was either people were going in and just taking them out of the cooler and drinking them in the back of the store, or employees they weren't even making it to the shelf they drink them back in the stock room um but it was just interesting it, it kind of gave you a light you know we, we always looked at those types of numbers as well from an analytical side you know i wasn't in the specific store myself but you look at it and you're just wondering what is going on you know how you know we're, we're ordering thousands and thousands of these tens of thousands of these things and they're just i mean it's why 50 percent loss on them I mean, luckily they were still making money off of them, or they would have just stopped it. But uh, it was just, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it goes to yeah. show the markup on those things. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, well you have to mark it up. Your, the loss is so high, you got to make it up. Right? That's yeah, many companies sure. do that in different SKUs. But ten dollars for a Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, as you talked about, yeah, the, the introduction was at a single location. You're catching shop. There's, there is internal uh, investigations going on. But then, as I moved up into a district role. The district role is all about internal investigations. That's where it gets into the analytics. And that's when you really begin your career in the interrogation and interview process. And most companies will have you go through an interview interrogation company and learn how to interview and interrogate from professionals. And the most uh, popular uh, company out there is a company called a Wicklander Zulowski. And many times if you apply for a job, 
part of that job description or requirements is you must be certified in Wicklander Zulowski. And Wicklander Zulowski, this is going to be way out there, but they're actually licensed to teach this method from a person named John Reed, uh, which is the most popular popular type of interrogation method used in the United States. Uh, I think like 80% of companies and law enforcement use this method. And it's kind of a soft accusatory method. Uh, and so as you start off learning how to interrogate people, and then you're, you're fresh, going in here fresh interviewing people, it is one of the scariest things, uh, sitting down with somebody and you have to tell them, they're basically, you've stole something. And you have to get them to say, you're right, I did. And uh, I kind of condensed that, but that's basically what it is when you're walking into this. It is extremely scary the first few times you do it because you don't want to mess up. You don't want to misread something. You don't want to misread their physical, their eyes, their comments. And and so that's, uh, as you move into that higher role, this usually starts with the district. You get a lot of internal interrogations that you perform. And so you're doing these uh, these interrogations with employees most of the time because they're stealing something or doing something that's not right or breaking company policy. And I guess the question is, why are you needing to get to the bottom of the situation? I guess to find out, you know, have a reason to fire them because uh, it sounds like sometimes you already know if they've stolen that or that thing or whatever. Uh, and then maybe <clears throat> restitution to get uh, talk to them and understand like, well, you need to pay us back this much money. And, and like, well, I'm going to make you confess that and then take it to court and make you pay that back. Or, or like, what is the purpose of those interviews? It's one to gather the appropriate evidence and written statements from that employee to basically justify and, and assist your termination of that employee so you don't get sued for wrongful termination. And be able to gather that evidence, a part of that evidence, if they're able to write a statement saying, yeah, I did what you said I did. Um, but you also have people that they're not going to tell you no matter what. There's this one guy I interviewed, a store manager. And they had tons of refunds of items that they never sold. And there were, but the the funny part was it was across, as I investigated, it was across multiple credit cards. And so what people would do is they would go to the register, and especially manager, because they have keys and access to all the registers. And they would enter in a SKU, a product, whatever that code is. And they would return that item onto their credit card. So they never bought it, but they would return it and get the cash on their credit card. Most of the time they would do it is because they had so much debt on that credit card, they're trying to pay off that debt through doing these fraudulent refunds. But this it was lots of credit cards. So I worked. With, I called the, uh, these different credit card companies and told them who I was. And most of them won't tell you anything. But all I wanted to know is, are these cards owned by the same person? And they said, yes. And that was, he had so many credit cards and so much credit card debt, and he was doing thousands of dollars of fraudulent refunds. Never bought anything. He would just return all these things just at the register. Just go put, just go put it back on the yeah. shelf? Or? Yeah. He would never take it off the shelf. He'd just write down the SKU. Oh, go to, yeah, yeah. So, um, And this guy was, he was an interesting character, right? He's a biker, you know, and had kids. And he, he was involved with the community and... Uh, there's a, a funny part of this story also. So I go in to interview him and I, I, you know, I won't say any names, but I'll, I'll make up a name. He also say, you know, Mike, Hey, Hey Mike, here's the situation. Let's get this thing worked out. He immediately stands up, takes his shirt off, throws his shirt on the ground and says, I'm not talking to you and walks out. <laughs> and as he's walking out, I, I turned to my witness and I said, I thought he was going to wrestle me for a minute. I did. Because <laughs> it's just, he's so angry. You're not taught to, to copy their language and you take <laughs> right. off your shirt and then say, let's do like, this. Right, let's do this. <laughs> Taking off my shirt too. He's all tatted up probably. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I had so much evidence on this person that getting a written statement is extremely helpful. But I was able to call the police and say, hey, here's all the evidence I have against this person. They were able to put a case against him and charge him. The funny part about this is, he did so much in the community and was involved with so much that the very next week we had a corporate get together where all the store managers come together and all you know all the corporate people and myself included. And unbeknownst to us, he was going to get a, a one of these store manager of the year plaques. <laughs> oh <laughs> so man! I was reading this pamphlet said this this person hey mike's gonna get the uh, employee of the year for i can't remember what it was and i immediately ran over to my vp and i was like hey 
this guy just got termed last week. I don't know if we really want to oh, give him a man. certificate for being, you know, the number, the, the best guy in the, in the company. So they they um, were able to stop that part of the presentation. Uh, they kind of skipped over him. So I, that was just kind of a unique part oh, of the man. story. So in that case, you know, he stormed out. He didn't want to even talk to you. But when you get someone in there that, you know, you do have, can you share a story when you've got someone in there that, has stolen something or, or done something inappropriate and you're, and then like what the, pro, what that process is like and like how that goes to the end. You know, after a while you do so many of them that it becomes a routine and I kind of wanted to start there. Oh, and also I have to say, whatever you do, if you look into how to interrogate and look at nonverbals, don't ever use it with your spouse. I'm just saying. Don't do word it. to the wise. That was going to be one of my questions. Have you used these techniques in other than your job? Well, once. So that, <laughs> that maybe we'll hear time. that story later. And what's the old the old saying? Once, and I still walk with a limp. That's the. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you know, it depends on what that circumstance is. You know, I like to use refund fraud because usually refund fraud they do it so many times so quickly that those are usually your biggest cases, but they're also some of the easiest to catch because they get so greedy. They'll do it every day, every day they work. So uh, I'll just use that as uh, the starting block. As you bring somebody in and you have gathered the evidence and you have that evidence against them, one of the first things that I would do is learn about that employee. Has he ever talked about he's short on cash? Has he ever complained about his job? Have he, get some background on the person and what type of person he is. Has he ever been written up for anything? So there's there's lots of different things you can look at, but you definitely get a background. So when you go in there, you feel confident. You kind of have you're already a leg up on the person because you know what kind of person they are. They don't know you from Adam, if you will. So as you bring a person in, um, it's I don't want to get too in depth because it can get really tedious this whole process. But being able to read, you already have evidence against them, which puts you a leg up. You already know kind of who they are, which puts you that much further. Now what you want to do is you want to try to read their reactions to your interview and your interrogation to know what you're going to do, how they're going to react, if they're going to be uh, cooperative or not. So what does that look like? How do you know they're going to be cooperative? The first thing you do is ask them a set of questions that are easy to answer so you can get a baseline. So I would ask them simple things like, hey, what's your social security number? And I'd say, uh, how long you been with the company? Oh, do you remember what day you started on? And their reaction to that would tell you how they react to a truthful answer. And once you get that baseline and you start the interrogation, now you already know how they react to truthful answers. And when they do the opposite, you know that they're not answering truthfully. It's kind of like a human lie detector test. So, you can kind of, <laughs> so they're sitting back and like, yeah, I started in you know late November. Oh, my social security is this. And, and you're like, well, we've got some issues here where we've seen that uh, you've been returning things. And they stand straight up and they're like, no, I've never done that. I don't know what you're talking about. Returning things? That's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think, I, you know, we were kind of talking about this last night. And I said, one of the funniest things is when people repeat a question. As soon as they repeat a question to me, I was like, oh my gosh, this, <laughs> this is going to be really easy. Gotcha. <laughs> what other telltale signs do you say? Like you said, we were talking chatting last night briefly, and you said that, you know, people that are guilty just tend to say some, say certain things and do certain things. Like what, what are some of those telltale signs where you're just like, oh man, every time? Uh, it, you know, uh, I can go through all the postures, but again, that's it's really getting in depth. Every piece of, of a person's body has a certain posture as to if they're innocent or if they're guilty. Everything from their eyes, their head, their shoulders, their feet, how they're placed, everything that they do, it, it kind of gives you those indicators. And if you know them all and you're used to it and you get that muscle memory as, as you interview more and more people, it's just you just pick it up. So the verbal part of it is I would never steal because, and they would go into great detail as to how honest they are and why they wouldn't steal. That was always a dead giveaway. And you'd sit there for 10 minutes listening to how wonderful an angel this person is when you have, you know, 10 hours of video of this person stealing from you. So uh, that was one of the things that always made you just kind of sit back and listen as they uh, explain to you how, what a great person they are. And, you know, I swear on a stack of Bibles. That was always a, a, a joke within the the profession, when somebody says, I swear on a stack of Bibles, he'd be like, wow, 
You have a, that's you, how you know. If you're religious, you have a lot of repenting to do. That's <laughs> that's what that that would go to. So, um, I, and again, specific uh, incidences where you, you know, and I can kind of talk about how at the beginning when you begin your in your everybody gets a, a method. Everyone has their own method on how they interview, and they kind of develop that. So you learn a certain technique, you get certified. But then you hone that and you figure out what works for you based on your personality. And everybody has a little bit of different technique. And as I became more and more proficient at my technique, it evolved where I created my own technique because the technique that I used, I felt that from time to time there was somebody that was innocent that was saying that they were not. They were confessing to things that I felt that they they didn't do. And that was confession. Correct. And that was Brandon Dassey. Right. (laughs) And the read, uh, the read method of interrogation that has been one of the downfalls of it is that, especially with juveniles that they confess to acts that they did not do. And I has always been a belief that I would rather, and some people will disagree, but I'd rather let, 10 guilty people go then have one innocent person sign a confession they did something they shouldn't have done. So that's kind of what I did and as I evolved is it turned into a, I would just walk in and my interrogation changed from this exploratory into a, hey, I have these 10 refund forms with your signature on it. Can you explain these to me? I would dive right in. And if they're like, oh, that's not my signature. Oh, it's not your signature. So the 10 times I also have you on video doing this, that's not you doing that. And so you immediately tell them what you have and that that ends it right there. I feel like, yeah, I did it. More of, a, more of a direct approach to this is what it is. Rather than tricking them. And the tricking part comes when you go into a cold interview that we call it. You don't have any evidence, but you're missing something. You have a loss. You have all these Red Bulls that are missing. So I'm going to go in and interview everybody. I don't know who did it, but I'm just going to interview everybody. And so everybody feels almost a sense of guilt, with even though they're not guilty, because of the way you approach it. So you were, you were chatting last night, and you were talking about you know, interviewing someone, and it kind of you were saying how you approach that, and you know, almost like an example, like you're saying, hey, you're a great employee, and almost like you use that honey to get uh, the bees as opposed to like, you know, the bitter. Can you explain how you, how you, that approach and like what you would say to someone if you're doing that exploratory and like? Just oh like, sure, yeah, sure. Uh, one of the first things you do, you walk in, you say, you know, again, I'll use the the word the, the name Mike. Hi, Mike. How are you today? I'm Dave Bunch. I'm with Loss Prevention. I'm I'm here to talk to you about some things that are occurring in the store, and I'm going to be talking to you a lot about you. So before I do that, I want to tell you a little bit about me. Is that okay? Is that okay with you? Okay, great. Thank you. I've been in Loss Prevention this long. And this is what loss prevention does. And some of the things that we do, and you kind of list, for instance, we protect the company from cash theft. We protect the company from from uh, distribution theft. We protect the company from refund fraud. And you always in that list of four or five, say in- what they Include did. the one that you think that they're, yeah. <laughs> and watch their reaction. And 90% of the time you'll see them hold their breath or they'll stop being, they weren't flat footed or they were flat footed. And now all of a sudden they go up on their toes or their, their head will tilt a little bit more. And you, I mean, you just see it every time. So that's your initial approach uh, is to kind of introduce that. And then after you introduce that, you kind of get that feel and say, Hey, something's wrong with what I already know they're probably involved with, but you don't know everything they're involved with. So that's when you go, great. Now I'm going to, ask you about you. When were you hired? What day exactly? Was that a Wednesday or a Thursday? And then you start getting the eyes. Eyes are, I mean, no, it doesn't matter how good you are. And even if you understand what happens with eyes when you lie, you cannot stop yourself from doing it. We have tried this. We have sat down with other loss prevention people and tried to lie to people and your eyes will go where they shouldn't. (laughs) Which which is where? So, to the most, Good question. <laughs> about 90% of the people out there, when they're telling the truth, everything's to the left. And with their line, it's to the right. And it also depends if you're looking up and to the left. That means you're recalling a situation. 
that you're envisioning this, this stage, if you will, with people. And if you look side to the left, you're trying to recall a conversation, this verbal conversation. And if you look down and to the left, which everybody does, guilty or not, because of the internal dialogue, well, if I tell him this, am I going to get in trouble? Am I going to get Joe in trouble? Was it, was it really? And you'll see him go through that dialogue by looking down and to the left. On the other hand, if you look to the right and up, you're visually creating. It's this trying to come up with a, a good lie. If you look just straight across, you're, vi- you're, you're creating a situation, this visual, this, this conversation. How should this conversation go? And that's why it's important to know if you look down to the left, it's about this internal dialogue because people that look to the right to create a dialogue will immediately look to the left and down and go through that dialogue in their mind to see if it makes sense. And so it's kind of interesting. Also, I've heard that when people like, when they're telling a lie, they'll, they'll overshare like unnecessary details of, of the situation. Is that, is that true? Oh, a- absolutely. And it will, they'll try to explain to you why they're not a thief. Uh, but the other part is they'll try to uh, redirect as how that happened. Well, that could happen to anybody. Well, maybe somebody lost it. Maybe they'll try to give all these other reasons of how that cash disappeared when he used that or how that refund occurred. It couldn't be there. There's all these other ways it could have happened. I had my my 25 credit cards stolen and and somebody (laughs) was just returning stuff on them. Oh, you hear everything. You hear everything. (laughs) What are some bizarre stories you've had from just interviewing employees and like what are some that stand out in your mind? Yeah, I'll share some funny ones because they get pretty, uh, they're just redundant because of, for a professional, they're redundant. It's this pretty much the same things happen. But human behavior is the interesting part of this. If you want to talk, this, this conversation we're having, it's all about human behavior and how people act after the fact or why they act because rationalization is the critical part to trying to understand why somebody does something and getting them to admit whether that rationalization is true or not, a rationalization helps somebody justify their act, good, bad, or indifferent. That behavioral part of this psychology answers all the questions. And that's the interesting part is try to get behind or underneath why this person is doing it and giving them a rationalization to then justify that action. So with that in mind, I'm going to share this first story uh, because it's, it's funny where uh, it was a cold interview and you'll get calls from stores and they'll say, Hey, we think we have somebody who walked out of the store without paying for something. And you're like, okay, well, we checked the register tape. They didn't buy anything. We looked at employee purchases. They didn't buy anything. They walked out with a bag and there was something in it. Okay, great. But we don't know if they used that bag for a personal item or if they bought something the day before or whatever. There's a lot of reasons why they could have that bag. You're talking employees. An employee. Okay. Correct. So, you know, I schedule a time with that store manager. Hey, I'm going to be in your building tomorrow. Or when do they work? And you show up at the building. Uh, again, this is some background that might be, it might be kind of interesting because there's a lot that goes in where you can interview somebody. There's so much you have to prepare for. You have to prepare the witness. Somebody's got to be in there with you. They have to know to shut up and not ask any questions. They got to know to sit there and take notes. And they got to, how do you take notes? What am I taking notes on? And so you have to prep the whole situation before you even sit down with somebody. Otherwise, you could be in legal trouble. Like someone could say that you're kidnapping them or something like that. Correct. And you want to be, you want to do the same thing every single time. So that someone can't say, you're sexist, you're racist, you, why didn't you do this? If you interview um, a Hispanic person, you interview a black person, you interview a white person, and they're, one of them says, well, you had me in the corner, I didn't have access to the door. You, you kidnapped me and you're racist. So you want to make sure everything's done exactly the same every single time. So that they go to pass cases, which they can do, you can say, well, I'll do the same thing every time. So they can't claim, or they can claim it, but it kind of protects you and the company. So that being said, some are really easy. Some interviews are so simple. You walk in and go, hey, do you know why I'm here to, talking to you today? And they're like, yeah, I you know, stole some cash. Oh, well, thank you. I'm actually going to talk to you about the refunds, but thanks for telling me about the cash. <laughs> that's, that's the funny part. When you go, do you know why I'm talking to you? And they tell you something, you're like, 
Yeah, I know exactly. that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but... I know that. We're going to talk. <laughs> yeah, that's. Yeah, pretend like you know everything. That's. <laughs> uh, I've like, had... yeah, well, but what else? The other thing. They're like, oh, yeah. And they say, oh, oh, the, I, I've been stealing this the products too. And you're like, yeah, but the other thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it refunds. <laughs> Sometimes it's that simple because uh, they, they want to. Some people want to be so helpful. I'm so helpful. You're not going to fire me, are you? Look how helpful I am. Uh, but anyway, this this young woman that um, the manager saw walk out with his bag with something in it. I sit down with this person. And again, human behavior and the way people think. Just keep that in mind. And I start the interview and I say, hey, you know, uh, I dove right into it and said, hey, you walked out with some product yesterday. You didn't pay for it. We understand that happens. Can you pay for it today? Do you have the means to pay for that day? That we don't have to worry about it. We just get it out of the way. She says, yeah, yeah, I can pay for that today. So right there, that's her admission. She did it. So then I go into you know, a few other conversations, but I, I look at her and say, so, did you not have money yesterday? I mean, why did you do it? And she says, oh, you know, it was on clearance and it was such a good deal. I couldn't pass it up. <laughs> so think so about that. She sold the item because it was cheap. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like, if you know, if you steal, it's free, right? <laughs> It's not as bad if it's less money. I'm just saying. So um, it, it, I almost fell out of my chair because I had never had anybody use that rationalization before. <laughs> you think you'd steal the most expensive thing in the store, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you think you'd steal it because it wasn't on sale. But. Uh, but in her mind, it minimized her act because it was on clearance. It was such a good deal. You just couldn't pass it up. So that's kind of the, the you know, there's lots of other funny things that you see people do. You know, like the store manager took his shirt off, you know, and stands up and storms out of the the office um you know you just brought up an interesting point when you're talking to people and what if they deny you have them on video you have all this evidence and they didn't i didn't do that i didn't do that i didn't do it. what are you talking about I, that's just not me that's not me and they never do anything they never admit and i think you had asked me a question well what do you do and if you have the evidence you still call the police uh, and then kind of push that case through. But some people, you can, early on, there was some shoplifters way back when I would show them video and say, so this isn't you stealing this whatever? And they go, that's not me. And clearly same clothes, same person, I mean, everything. So some people, again, the psychology of it are just like, well, if I just deny enough times, it'll just go away. So that's that's kind of interesting. Yeah, and that's weird. Did, uh, maybe this is a deeper question, but did you ever have anybody that, that got away. I mean, there's a lot of people that are really good at lying and that are pretty sinister. I mean, did you ever have anybody that that slipped through the cracks? Not that you weren't doing your job, but someone that constantly looks left and down. <laughs> it, it, absolutely, you have the, and those are usually the cold interviews where you don't have any evidence. I, but I'm a firm believer that if they have that in their their personality, a part of their character, they have no integrity. They're going to do it again. You interview them, you cut them loose, they're going to do it again. And you then you'll catch them the second time. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, have you, um, what, uh, what was like your biggest, your biggest, one of your biggest stories that you remember about, you know, some big theft or something like that? I think one of the most interesting ones that, um, I guess you can say scary, but interesting and, and more evolved uh, was it had to do with the distribution center. And uh, again, I won't mention any companies I work for, but this distribution center was thousands and thousands of dollars worth of merchandise we could not account for. And of, this is pretty simple because the company's calling you and saying, hey, just so you know, this distribution center is down $50,000 in these types of products. Go for it. And they kind of turn you loose. Uh, really simple, the product wasn't getting to the stores. And it's multiple stores. So if that product gets on the truck and it doesn't get to multiple stores, you know that's an issue with the distribution. It has to be at the distribution. There's just no question about it. It's, it's... So at that point, I called one of, one of my peers from Seattle, and uh, he flew in so I can have some backup. And uh, we began watching... Um, the process of loading pallets with product. Normally, distribution centers, they have one person that will load one product or one pallet. They'll get the sheet, 
they'll go from section to section, picking pieces. And this is old school, by the way. And you'd load this pallet, and this pallet would go to this store, and you know they signed for it. So what we did is we set up this pallet, and it was going to a store, and all it had was all this expensive stuff. Unbeknownst to us, they didn't even need that. They were just loading stuff on whatever they felt like they wanted to steal. <laughs> so as we're watching the video of this this pallet, thinking, oh, we're just going to watch this pallet from the time it gets loaded to when it gets on the truck. To so you're doing like a sting operation. It's live. Yeah. Yeah. Live. Is it? Is it like covert? I mean, are you are you back behind a door watching via the cameras, or are you like posing as an employee, or, or you know, as that's a great question. With the cameras, we actually put the cameras in a position where we could watch the entire process. We were in an office that was secured that no one could come in, so we could actually watch live via the video what was occurring. And what the first surprise was is that not one person was loading this pallet. But multiple people were loading this pallet. And all these multiple people loading this one pallet were all bringing high dollar value stuff from all over this distribution center loading it on this pallet. And I don't know if we just got lucky that we'd happen to pick this one pallet or if whatever. But you always have a, a manager overseeing this process. And the manager's just standing there watching these people walk up and load this pallet. So we're immediately like, oh my... My mind was the entire distribution center stealing from us. Everybody, you know, all, all hundred and something employees are stealing from us. So at that point, we've got to follow this. We've got to follow the truck. We've got to know what's happening because they're not stealing it at the location. They, that pallet got onto the truck. We saw it get the pallet jack. They loaded it on the truck, shut the door, put a seal on it. So now we've got to follow the truck. So we bail out of there, get in our car. We're following this truck. And trucks are pretty easy to follow, much more easier to follow than some personal vehicle. And we're following the truck, and they're going from location to location. And between locations, they went off track. They went off track from one location to the next. They, they literally would take a side street if you want to look at it that way. The guy stopped, hopped out. As he's hopping out, two trucks roll up right next to the back of this diesel truck. They cut the seal roll up the door and these guys unload this pallet in like two minutes. I mean, they just thousands of dollars. They just get into the trucks drive off. The guy drops it down. He had a whole thing of seals, put another seal on it, got in his truck and went on to the next location. So we we now know what happened. It's gone. And there's no way I'm going to follow these two trucks, right? Cause I'll probably get killed. So I'm not going to do that. So I go back to the distribution center. Well, now what are you going to do? I'm going to interview the manager because he's the one that's responsible for all that just occurred. Do, do you take pictures and stuff as you were doing this? Would you yeah, have some yeah we did. Okay. Yeah, we had a, you're going to laugh, the old VHS. <laughs> the one you put on your shoulder. <laughs> the shoulder like, mount camera. Yeah, we tried to camouflage it, you know, but, you know, it's impossible. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it, it might would fit in a briefcase, maybe. <laughs> a huge, you know, not carry-on luggage, that's for sure. Uh uh, that's funny that you bring that up because it's you literally had this huge thing with the little mic that coming out the top. Yeah. Uh, so go back and uh, my partner, I call him Seattle, he and I brought in the manager and uh, we sat him down and I said, hey, I'm I'm, I'm going to, this uh, the technique, hey, I'm going to ask you some questions about you, but first I'm going to talk about me. I kind of gave him the spiel and I said, hey, do you happen to know why I'm talking to you today? And he says, yeah, because we're stealing product. And I said, like, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's why I'm talking to you. So I want to kind of get into how long this has been going on. It wasn't the first day you started, was it? He's like, well, I tried. Oh. <laughs> and so I kind of stopped. And I said, okay, I'm not going to ask you more questions. Why don't you just talk to me? And he's like, well, um, I started working here three years ago. Uh, I came up from Mexico. I got a job here. And my main responsibility was to get a job, move up in the company, and become a manager so that I can then hire my friends or family or Friend. yes his crew if you want to look at it that way i would hire my crew they'd come on and we'd steal as much as we can and i'm like well how much do you think i still on he's like i don't know i don't know we've been stealing for this long and i've been a manager for this long i'm like millions of dollars and at that point i don't know i'm confused because now what do i do because this guy's just telling me everything and then he says you might as well just call ice i was like Okay, I'll call, I'll call Ice. Do you have the number? Do I need to look that up? Or That's funny. That? <laughs> yeah. I uh, said the same thing. It's like, uh, speed dial. Speed dial, yeah. Here's my phone. You can call him right now. So I call Ice, 
and this dude shows up and it's like in the movies this guy shows up he's got this really long like uh nice overcoat it's kind of a khaki color it's you know, suede if you will and he's got the he's all decked out in nice shoes and this guy sh- shows up and he gives me his card shows me his badge and everything and i'm like hey i got this guy i don't know what's going on i i you know i failed to tell you <laughs> the most important part of this before i called ice so i'm like so who what what is going on what is what is these these friends you use like oh yeah well i'm part of ms13 i'm i'm involved Some with ms13 bad hombres, man. <laughs> and the way he said it was like now that you know, let's just get this out of the way. It was very matter of fact. And that's the part, you know, I was mentioning that when he said that, I was just like, I could not get rid of this guy fast enough <laughs> because, you know, he's like, what was I don't want to die. He's like, what was your name again? Yeah. You're like, uh, Bob <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stephenson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Name an enemy quick. Right. Oh, man. Um, so anyway, he was very matter of fact who he was, what he was doing and his gang. And he said, call ICE. The, the ICE official showed up, went in, talked to the guy. They were speaking Spanish to each other. He gets done and says, hey, I got it from here. This is what's going to happen. We're going to detain all these guys. And in 48 hours, they're all going to be deported to Mexico, and you'll never see them again. I'm like, okay, well, we'll do what we can. Here's all the evidence we have. And he's like, well, the guy's not written a statement. I'm like, well, here we have it on video. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll take all that, but you're never going to see him again. You're so, never going to get your money back. You, nothing. You just- and he was pretty matter of fact. He said, this happens all the time. This is their modus operandi. Yeah. And he said, the smart part of MS-13 are extremely professional. They don't want to hurt anybody. They're out to steal as much as they can until they get caught, get deported, and then start all over again. And that was really fascinating because they took hundreds of thousands of dollars that we were able to attribute to them. They're done. They get caught. His whole thought was, ah, dang it, I got to start over. He, he had no remorse or anything. Yeah. But... How did he? At least, so what about he, at least he has a he has a resume. <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Tons with, of experience with the manager on it. What about so all the guys that? Uh, how did you identify all the guys? Or was he just like, this is my crew. All these guys are my crew. We're all going back. Or, or how did you figure out who all was in his crew? He wouldn't say who his crew members were. We just went off who loaded that pallet, and then we just termed him. We would just bring him in and said, hey, we saw you loading this pallet. We're just gonna at this point we're gonna part ways. So that's how we handled that. A little easier at distribution center. Um, it, it's there's a lot of different aspects to that, especially um, the way people are hired as well. And speaking of which, I think I brought this up. All of them had false identification, um, driver's licenses, social security number. They had all that identification. So it was pretty interesting. Have you ever had anybody? I mean, obviously, you dealing with some folks that are professional thieves in this situation but i'm sure in all your time you've had people threaten to kill you and threaten to hurt you and all this kind of stuff has anybody you've ever been afraid anybody was gonna actually do that or, or have you ever do people say that all the time i got that a lot um usually that was they tried to intimidate me to stop the the interview or not call the police uh, i never did i never felt threatened um Back before the internet was that popular, you didn't really worry about it because they'd have to figure out who you were and get your address and find your house. But you know, later on, they can just punch your name in and they find everything out about you. So that is always something you have to be concerned with. Um, I at one time, only one time, did I have anything ever happen to my property or me, and that was somebody trashed my car, broke all the windows out, and and you at know, the when your car was at work yeah, or at your house at work. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you go out and it's broken. You you know, you're like, uh, darn this company it. Pay, it. Company pays for that, I'm sure. Uh, no, they do oh. not. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, was it a company car or was it a personal car? <laughs> Personally, they pay a mileage. So, yeah, it, it, it's just it's just strange. Um, you know, I, I don't... It, uh, you know, a couple of other experiences I've been involved with um, that are interesting is that you are an agent of the company and you're a professional of the company and you understand the company. So many times you're asked to testify when your company's involved with something or somebody has done something that is a member of the company or come your customer of the company. And I bring that up because one of the interesting cases I was involved with it, I was asked to testify against uh, James Holmes in Colorado, who was the mass murderer at the Aurora theater shooting. Uh, many years ago. And the reason I was asked is because he was a member of the company that I worked at. And they wanted to establish 
that he was sane. And the way sane people do not keep routines. And they wanted to establish that he kept a routine. And so I was asked to testify. And um, that was the guy that shot the Batman. Yeah. Uh, the Batman, yeah. the Dark Knight showing. Correct. Correct. Um, and that was uh, one of the most, um, I, I don't know how to explain it, but the, it was such a dark feeling to be literally 15 feet away from a mass murderer. I'm in the witness stand and he's sitting right there in his, his orange jumpsuit uh, as you're being asked questions from the defense and, and from the prosecutor. Um, that was an interesting experience to be able to testify in that setting. Uh, I can't explain that to people, but it was yeah. eerie. That would be creepy. I actually watched you when you did that. <laughs> yeah, I watched it and I was like, man, it's crazy. Uh, yeah, it was, it was really interesting. Um, I'm glad it was over. Just, I'm glad it, I, I don't get worried about testifying. It was just so creepy to be in the same room with the guy, much less yeah, close totally. and testifying against him, basically. Uh, something else back in my shoplifting days, uh, somebody that I had caught, um, and it was a slow Sunday, not a lot goes on. And this dude walks in and he goes over to where our active shoes or tennis shoes, Nike's. And he sits down, and so you just watch whoever's there. You're bored, right? You got your camera system, and you're sitting in the office, and the cameras are maneuverable, so you can, you know, 360 and watch people as they walk around. This guy selects a pair of shoes, takes his shoes off. This is when I knew he was going to steal. He kicks his shoes underneath the bench, puts on the new shoes, and walks out the door. So um, I stopped him, said, hi, I work with loss prevention with the company. I'd like you to come back in. And he said, sure, I'll come back in. Comes back in, really amiable, you know, no big deal. And I said, hey, do you have any ID on you today? He says, no, I don't have any ID. And one of the things you learn to do when you're walking people back in is you have them kind of walk in front of you because you always have somebody with you that walks in front to guide them to the office. Well, you, I always check for bulges, weapons, and you always notice that they have a wallet in their back pocket. And this guy had a massive wallet in his back pocket, so I knew he had ID on him. So he sits down. I'm saying, okay, uh, what's your name? He gives me a false name. Uh, you know, I, it, once you're, th- you're through it, he admits, yeah, I stole these tennis shoes. I'm like, okay, I'm going to call the police. Well, you don't have to call the police. You're, you're fine. You just don't worry about that. Like, well, you know, I have to do this. I have to be consistent. I have to call the police. Call the police. Police comes in. Police officer looks at him. Do you have any ID? Guy stands up, pulls his wallet out, hands it to the officer. I watch the officer open up the wallet, and there's a badge. And the officer looks at the badge, looks at the ID, closes it, looks at me, puts his finger up, and does the step outside with me. So I stepped outside, and the officer says, do you have him on video? Are you sure he stole? I'm like, absolutely he stole. He admitted he stole. I've got the evidence there. I've got it all. He said, that's good, because that gentleman is the state prison warden. Oh, no way. And I was like, oh, no, because that gets political quick. So the end of the story is he was charged. It hit the news. He was, I think it was 24 years in as in the prison system. He was a warden and they termed him because of this action, which means he loses all of his retirement, his pension, and everything for stealing a pair of tennis shoes. And back then, Nikes were, you know, whatever, 50 bucks. So crazy. All that for one stupid. But it's probably not the first time he's done it. No. And again, that's the behavioral part. If you look at why and why would he do that? You can rack your brain and try to figure out why somebody in that position would steal something. But it comes down to there's something in his life, something that's making him do that, either from an excitement standpoint, um, something's missing in his life. Is he a bad person? Absolutely not. He made a bad choice. And that's something else you, you look at when you're doing this. That's a cool story. <laughs> it was really interesting. Um, I, I don't... I, no, yeah, go I, ahead. What, share, whatever. Do you have any other stories? I mean, yeah, I'm loving hearing um, these stories. So, some of these stories, and again, they're the unique stories. Um, I, I, I'll, again, I'll refrain from naming schools. But let's just say a very um, high-power school, college... Um, was going to go play in a bowl game. And they were only one loss for the year. 
extremely talented team. They were predicted to win. Um, and this was like in a week or two is during that season. And I was catching shoplifters. And I see some individuals come in and they just start, they're acting hinky. So I start watching them. Hinky? Hinky, that's a yeah, term. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll talk about the look of love in a minute. So, because <laughs> they, they give you the look of love. So they started, they're acting hinky. It's like, yeah, something's not that right. After you do this for a while, you, you get, get that sense, that body language, like, ah, oh, there's, there's something's wrong here. So these, these uh, individuals walk over to where, back when there were CDs that you could buy inside stores, and they start selecting CDs. And while one's selecting CDs, the other gives the look of love. And the look of love is when they stand up as tall as they can, and they turn their head to the left slow, and they turn their head to the right real slow, looking for employees or if somebody's watching. See we if always, anybody's watching. Yeah, we always call it look of love. And they start concealing this stuff in their coats. And they're a couple guys. They're kind of bigger, so I start calling for some backup. And uh, you always want two for one, so there's two of them. I get three other guys. And as they're walking out, um, it depends also on the situation. Sometimes I'll stop them in the lobby between doors, or I'll stop them outside. I, some people, you want to stop in the lobby because you don't know which direction it's going to go, and it can get bad. So what, in stopping the lobby, lobby, one of them stops his shoulders slump, which means he's like, oh, man, I got caught. The other guy bolts. And what he didn't know is I had this guy who was a jiu-jitsu black belt who decided he was going to take this runner out, and he took him out. As the guy's running by him, the jiu-jitsu guy literally just stuck his foot out and pushed him in the back over his foot. And this guy just went face first in the concrete, and we cuffed him up. And brought him oh. in. As we started, as I brought him in and started to get ID and realize who they were, they were the two starting cornerbacks for this high-profile team. Of course, it hit the news very quickly. Both of them were suspended for the game, and I think the team they ended up playing against threw for like 500 and something yards in that game, and they lost this bowl oh, game. And so people that kind of knew what had happened, they're blaming me because it was, you know, it was like... <laughs> You cost us the game. Like, hey. I had money on that game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I didn't still think. But, uh, you know, that's just another incident. And sometimes the more interesting stories are these people you don't know mm-hmm. because you don't know how they're going to react. You have no idea who they are, who they come from. There's no background at all. You just see them steal. And, uh, uh, in fact, when I worked up in um, Oregon, we had a location that I worked at that was right next to the state prison. So these people would get out of prison. And on the way out of prison, they'd stop by our location and steal stuff. I mean, oh, so this happened. It's this revolving door. Yeah, this happened. This dude walks in, goes over and grabs a razor, a, a rotary razor right off the shelf. And it's like, I can't remember how much. It was like 70 bucks or whatever. Starts walking out the door. So um, I stop him in between the doors because he, he just, again, he looked really, you just get that feeling. I know the guy's going to do something. I said, hi, you know, I'm Dave. Loss prevention, and the guy throws a punch. So I go underneath, I take him down, and as soon as we hit the ground, the guy lost control of his bowels. <laughs> and it was the most disgusting thing. That sounds like a prison issue. Oh, it, it was it was bad. And I, I had a partner with me, and um, she was a female. Actually, she was one of the best female loss prevention people I work with. She was tremendous. And uh, he's fighting tooth and nail, but we get him cuffed up. We bring even him even after office. he loses. Control. Oh yeah, even when he's cuffed up, he's fighting, kicking. Oh, so man. we get him inside the office. And one of the things I did, especially with shoplifters, is you push the desk as far away from you and towards the other wall as you can, so that when that person is sitting in the chair, they can't stand up really well. Their knees are literally pressed against the desk. So if they try to stand up, they're 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 kind of trapped there a little bit. So this guy stands up. And he looks at my partner and calls her a terrible name. And he doesn't want to sit down because of the issue going on in his pants. So I reached over with my finger and because he's a little off balance. And I got my finger and I pushed his chest just a little bit. And he kind of teetered backwards, sat right down in the chair. And he just, and then he started cursing at me because I made him sit in his filth. So, <laughs> but, you know, again, you don't know who these people are. You don't know what's going to happen. And, uh, I'd never do that again because it's at, at this stage, uh, what's going on in you know in our country is I I just can't imagine somebody not getting killed pretty frequently because you know there's that I'll just say it sometimes there's lack of respect. Mm-hmm. People are desperate. Yeah, you're right. I imagine you get people that are 
one poor people who need who who feel like they don't have any other alternative you know kind of a uh like an aladdin scenario you get the scenario where people are like kleptos and they just still because they like it and then you get scenarios where people just need to pay their bills or something is there any other scenarios that people steal reasons why people will steal <laughs> I have heard, you know, just like a police officer, I have heard everything that people can tell you. You just hear everything. And after a while, you don't even hear it. I think it's like an officer when they were going to write a ticket for speeding. They're going to hear everything. And if they listen to every sob story, they can't do their job. So they just have to, again, be the best they can across the board just writing people tickets. Now, if you're stopped somebody and clearly the ladies, you know, giving birth, she's in labor, I'm sure the officer's going to go, yeah, no problem, let's get you taken care of. But other than these these outliers, I mean, what are you going to do? You have to, to do that. So I know but, that's kind of a long answer. Well, I think it's like what you said, to a certain extent, there's safety and consistency. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, I guess you really don't think about that. You want every cop to let you off or you want, you know, you, oh, my situation is special or whatever else. But from from the opposite side, you have to be consistent, except for those certain outlier situations that there might be. But yeah, well said. Well, great. Uh, these have been some great stories. Uh, this has been a fun, fun podcast. One Definitely. thing that we like to do as part of a, a Brothers Creed podcast is talk with people about their their creed. So, so to us, the definition of a creed is a set of beliefs or aims that guide someone's actions. So, uh, would you be able to briefly share some aspect of your personal creed with us and and with the listeners? Thank you for asking me, because someone's personal creed is, sometimes it's sacred, it's personal, it's, and it's hard to define it and share it at times, but it's also important to share it, so the other, it kind of gives you that incentive to live to that creed when you voice it, and something, my father was a psychologist, and something that he told me many, many years ago was that he said, son, whatever you do, what I want you to do is I want you to look at the world and look at people in the world on a horizontal scale. If you can look at everyone around you in a horizontal scale and realize that you are all equal, you're just on different parts of that scale, you'll do okay. You'll keep your ego in check. You'll be able to treat people with respect. He said, what happens is the world wants to tilt that in a vertical scale where I'm better than you because I have more money. I'm better than you because I'm smarter. I'm better than you. And so you start putting below people below you and minimizing who they are as a human being. So my creed is I want to treat everybody. And you say golden rule, but I want to treat everybody on that horizontal line. We're all out there trying the best we can. We're all in different spots, but we're all equal. That's really good. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think sometimes it's it's maybe easy in today's day and age to, uh, you know, I think at one point we talked about comparison and pride and, and things like that, but seeing others as as equals and, and giving them the respect um, that I think each one of us deserve, uh, maybe until we, until we do something to lose it to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. It. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Well, this has been great, Dave. Thank you so much. Also, thank you for your service as a veteran. Um, we really appreciate you joining the, the show today as well. And, uh, you know, it's been great. You get some great stories, and uh, we really do uh, really enjoyed it. Yeah. For well, all of our uh, – oh, go ahead. Uh, I just want to say thank you, gentlemen. I, I love what you're doing. I love that as brothers you're talking about what you believe in. And even as brothers, you have different opinions. And that's awesome to see that. Even the same family, same upbringing, you're giving different perspectives, but yet you can do it in a way that's respectful and, and loving. So I think it's it's a, a great uh, podcast that you're you're doing here. Thank you. Yeah, we we appreciate it. So, um, well, for for uh, the listeners out there, if you want to hear more about um, what we do in our podcast, you can follow us on Instagram at a dot brothers dot creed. Uh, you can also uh, hear our other episodes on. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, YouTube, Spotify. We've actually been re- recording some of the some of our episodes on YouTube, so you can uh, 
see how those go. And sometimes, you know, the ones on YouTube uh, are probably going to be less edited because it's videos. So you'll get to see uh, more of a raw take of how things are. So that'll be good. Yeah. So please uh, like, subscribe, leave a comment, leave us a rating. We appreciate all the comments that we've been receiving thus far from, Definitely. from all the listeners. It really helps us to kind of um, you know, come up with more content and, and focus on, on, on where we want to go with the podcast. So let's, uh, let's build our creed together.